0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, March 31st episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us on SoundCloud Instagram as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Denai Barnes. She and I will be discussing her poem, Casting a Sexy Time Spell for Your IRL Date After Three Weeks of Sporadic Texting, and my poem, Conjurings in the Night. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Valley during the week of April 1st. Since April is National Poetry Month, Connect and Heal is hosting a high school poetry contest via email from now until 11.59 p.m. on Friday, April 5th. You can enter if you are a young person who's of high school student age, whether you're homeschooled or in a high school, you can email your poem to hello at connectandheal.org. Again, make sure you enter by April 5th, 11.59 p.m. On Monday, April 1st, from 5 to 7 p.m., Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Building Bridges performance with teen artists at the South Mountain Community Library in the Community Room at 7050 South 24th Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 9.30 p.m., Savannah Lutman and Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting the Firebird Open Mic at Thirst Space, which is at 1028 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Sign up to get on the mic. is between 5 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday, April 2nd, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., Changing Hands Bookstore will be celebrating the launch of the Leona Group's online literary arts journal with a performance and reading at their store in Phoenix at 300 West Camelback Road. From 7 to 8.30 p.m., OME and Film Bar Phoenix will be hosting its monthly improvised poetry orchestra at Film Bar Phoenix, which is at A15 North 2nd Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 10 p.m., Richard Nyhill will be hosting his weekly I Am Hologram open mic at Irene's Tap Room, which is at 1227 East Northern Avenue in Phoenix. Sign up to get on the mic starts at 6:30 p.m. From 8 to 11 p.m., Ken Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30 p.m. On Wednesday, April 3rd, from 8 to 11 p.m., Poetic Soul Phoenix is hosting his weekly open mic. At Club Downtown, which is at 702 North Central Avenue in Phoenix, signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. on Thursday, April 4th, from 7 to 8:30 p.m. Sozo Coffee House will be hosting its monthly open poetry night at 1982 North Elmis School Road in Chandler, from 7 to 9 p.m. Changing Hands Bookstore will be hosting a poetry reading by Kim Dower. This is taking place at 300 West Camelback Road in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Long Gnome Publishing will be hosting its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at The Lost Leave at 914 North 5th Street in Phoenix. Make sure you get there by 6.50 to get on the list to compete. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quentin Oney will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobac Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30 p.m. Friday, April 5th, from 4 to 6 p.m., PC Rising will be hosting its New Voices live reading from students and faculty of Phoenix College. This is taking place at Transam Phoenix, which is at fifteen oh six Grand Avenue in Phoenix. From five to seven PM, Trauma Healing Services presents Take Back the Night Rally and Live Music Event at Civic Space Park, which is at four hundred twenty four North Central Avenue in Phoenix. From 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., Rosemary Dombrowski will be hosting her First Friday Poetry on Roosevelt Row, featuring the Arizona Masters of Poetry. This is taking place at the back porch of the local First Arizona Modified Arts at 407 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Changing Hands Bookstore in Tempe will be hosting its first Friday Poetry Open Mic featuring Shariar Alam, and this is taking place at 6428 South McClintock Drive in Tempe on Saturday, April 6th from 7 to 9:30 p.m. Daughter of Zen will be hosting her first Saturday Open Mic at the Black Cat Coffee House, which is at 4730 East Indian School Road, Suite 120 in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Denai Barnes. Hi, Danae. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're happy to have you. So please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: I would consider myself a writer, an artist, a little bit of an activist. Mm-hmm. I've been in Phoenix for two years. Before that, I was in the Bay. Before that, I was in D.C. Before okay. that, I was someplace else. Mm-hmm. La la la. Um, Yeah, I like to think of myself as kind of a closeted radical activist who is currently playing the capitalism game, but with a good roadmap out. Right.
0: Yeah. We all need an exit plan. Sure. Or we need an entrance plan into something else. Yes. Do you mind letting us know what activism you're into?
1: Sure. When I was sort of more involved in. Direct activism. It was in D.C., and Mm -hmm. so this was right around the time of the WTO protests, the IMF protests, when that was really starting to pick up, Mm -hmm. and these mass protests came back around again.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, I was part of D.C. Indie Media and a couple of other groups that didn't really have a website or a web presence or any of those (laughs) kinds of things when it was still possible to get close to the buildings. And so before the militarization of the police, before you had the sort of special forces team snipers on the top of the roof that would come in, infiltration of all these other things, we were getting up in people's faces. Mm -hmm. We were blocking off streets. We were blocking off doors. And I got really involved with that direct action, really involved with creating community organizing Mm -hmm. in a time when those big organizations still felt as if they were, you know, the neoliberal agenda was helping and it hadn't been clear to mainstream. Of course, it was clear in communities all over the world that had been affected by those policies. It was becoming more clear to the people who were funding it. Mm -hmm the average American taxpayer, the average Western citizen, as it were, that these orgs were were nefarious and um, pretty pretty, um, sketchy. Let's just call them sketchy. And Mm -hmm. so what I was doing was just standing in the street and shouting. And Mm -hmm. organizing those protests and organizing things that were definitely not permitted, Mm -hmm. as it were. (laughs) But then the evolution of that was to recognize that there was a lot of... It was an extension of competition. It Mm -hmm. was, okay, well, I'm going to stand in front of this cop and I'm going to shout because I'm very angry. And then I'm going to be bigger than that person. And that's how I know that my idea is better.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I watched this kind of... It's a critique that's shown up a lot about who's at the protest.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: how they protest, mm-hmm. their intent, their strategies, their tactics. And I really mm-hmm. saw that when I got started in radical activism, that it was a lot of anger against anger, mm-hmm. without really a plan for what comes next, without a community plan, without right, building. Right. A lot of destruction, not a lot of building. Right. And at some point, you recognize how false that is. Yeah. Rec- it's just the same tools.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't really do anything because it's just spending a lot of energy mm-hmm. and going head to head. Like right now, there's a, a lot of stimuli for doing that. And and right. you can feed into that or you could use that energy to actually build the world that you want mm-hmm. to build. But it is difficult when you are so triggered,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So. And I think also the thing that is lacking is recognizing the difference between strategy and tactics. Mm-hmm. So violence is a tactic. Mm-hmm. Nonviolence is a tactic. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what we are still in on the cusp of doing well, and, and truly, there are some organizations, there are some groups that understand the nature of strategy versus tactics. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to harness those tactics in a longer range or a more cohesive plan
0: mm-hmm.
1: is a bit missing, and or decentralized tactics. So I'm not interested in sort of a top-down okay, well, everybody come together, have a committee, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the recognition that if you're going to do one thing, there are other ways to harness that energy, like you said, that are equally important. But people get railroaded over into the media circus. They want the attention. They don't really understand how to do other things. They haven't studied up other kinds of movements and other groups. You know, like study the Black Panther. and You can figure out a lot of interesting ways to
0: harness that activity and yeah yeah well, it's kind of difficult to move away from that, right? Because even though there's a lot of democratization of attention or mm-hmm. of getting attention like mm-hmm. through social media, still ultimately media has a large control over what gets seen, who gets seen, what issues gets the spotlight. People who have natural marketing skills, self marketing skills, mm-hmm. like 45 for instance mm-hmm. can sort of hook into that and then get media's attention and then that really just spreads so they get the huge platform and it is understandable that somebody wants this platform in order to get their message across mm-hmm. and it's hard work as we both know the marketing of things well and i think it's another way to think of it is we have an undisciplined diet Mm. Yeah.
1: So the idea that, well, we have to eat what's right in front of us, mm. that's an illusion. Right. That's a perception.
0: Right, that's true.
1: And we look at, and I see over and over and over again, this, you talk about being triggered or being pushed into a certain direction. And I think that there's a real opportunity to create smarter consumption. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not an accident to me that we talk about, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And then you also look at the overlay of their economic systems that push you to consume, push Mm -hmm. you to have more than you need, that push you to have things in abundance that you don't need at all. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that actually shifted my activism toward other modalities, Mm -hmm. because ultimately, the truest form of activism, I think, is radical self-control and radical community. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you are actually connecting with your neighbors, when you're actually connecting in a real and harmonious way with what's in front of you, when you say, no, I don't actually need that, I don't need to consume
0: right. that
1: firing, burning, you can't do anything about it, but it's going to take up all your mental energy, Right. when we begin to actually recognize the power of our attention,
0: mm-hmm. yes, what
1: we pay attention to is, I think, the most radical type of activism that Mm-hmm. And you see this a lot with these really amazing movements that are grassroots in their origin, mm-hmm. but then capture, like you said, because of whatever it is, because of their capacity, because of their strategy, where they develop the ability to capture people's attention. Mm-hmm. That's really, I think, where a lot of our political battles can be fought. Mm-hmm. is A, being smart about where we direct our own attention,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: B, creating activism, creating engagement, creating messaging that has thought about what gets people's attention, mm-hmm. has thought about, all right, we understand the undisciplined nature of the mind that is consuming lots of things on Instagram, is consuming lots of things on all of these platforms, on mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Tumblr, whatever it is, name them all, roll them out like a long list when we begin to strategize create tactics create awareness create conversation around pulling attention in the direction that we want that's when stuff really starts to fire up mm. right we are not helpless in right, this onslaught right, right. Sure. of information. Yes, right. we have information saturation, but we are completely powerful in our own capacities. Yeah, We yeah. have the ability to just curse word, curse word, curse word, say no. We can <laughs> just actually say no. We can get off and get on. We can engage. And we can also get off again.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think just a little bit more before we go yeah, yeah, actually sure. to the poetry. Into the art um, itself yeah is that as you said we ultimately do have the choice to shut that social media feed or whatever it is Correct. that's why when people complain to me about a platform being evil or whatnot mm-hmm. and, and i always think well you can choose what you listen to you mm-hmm. can choose what you consume you have some control over it and part of it is that you have to be willing to develop new habits if you find right. that you're consuming something that's right. making you just angry right. all the time and not directing that anger toward anything constructive and i I think
1: just the kind of the last thing about it, let's acknowledge that capitalism is very creative. It is. Let's acknowledge that people who are looking without a moral or ethical compass to for their own advantage, they're gonna push their way anywhere, Mm -hmm. into anything, Mm -hmm. into any possible modality, into any possible method. So I know it's not as simple as, oh you can or oh you can't. There's a lot of other conditions that happen for people. But, and this, I think, (coughs) bleeds into the origin story of the poem, Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of power.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And to the extent that we believe in and invest energy in this sort of Heideggerian they, this vague, anonymous, oppressive they, Mm -hmm. is the extent to which we lose sight of how much agency we do actually have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's acknowledge the forces that come to bear on us, But we're also, we're pretty capable Mm -hmm. as individuals and certainly really capable as communities.
0: Yeah, finding the right community is also a very important step in order to not be derailed by the so-called quote-unquote they. Because Mm -hmm. they, whatever that they is for each person. Right does have a certain amount of power, as you said. We have to acknowledge that. Going back to the purpose right. of this podcast, right. though I love this tangent we're on, I kind of wanted to know, how did you get into poetry? And did you utilize that skill also for your activism work?
1: Absolutely. More and more and more, we begin to see how words and power are really Mm -hmm. linked together. My education is a combination of things. I worked on horse farms for a really long time. But courtesy of a lot of uninteresting things, I had to get out of it Mm -hmm. and got into rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And so my master's degree is actually in rhetoric. And that has inspired a lot of my artistic Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, bent. So the Mm -hmm. combination of activism and then being educated in rhetoric understanding the power of rhetoric mm-hmm. in terms of persuasion, mm-hmm. as it were, but then the force of words, especially as we see how technology mitigates so much of our experience. Mm-hmm. That has really informed how I have approached writing. Okay. It informs a lot of what I'm interested in terms of conveying, mm-hmm. not necessarily to serve as a bulwark or a contrast or push against technology, but to acknowledge the influence of the medium on mm-hmm. the message. Yeah. In terms of poetry, I'm more of a fiction writer. Okay. And so I do flash, I
0: mm-hmm. do short
1: stories, okay. I dabble in sci-fi.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: love to consume it. It's really hard to produce. But, uh, you know, like everyone, I have a few things on the back burner that just kind of bubble up every right. now right. and again. But in terms of, of poetry, there's such a beautiful moment of reading poetry that gets lost a little bit when you're reading um, a short story
0: mm-hmm. or
1: reading even a flash work. It mm-hmm. doesn't have that same visceral, mm-hmm. evocative mm-hmm. thing. The specificity of word choices and the way that it can so beautifully evoke a visual or a moment mm-hmm. or an experience, yeah. I think is unique to poetry. Yeah, And the opportunity to dive into that moment that you had and hopefully connect with somebody else in yeah. that way, yeah. to me, is what is so powerful about poetry,
0: yeah.
1: and powerful about the possibility of words.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when did you get into it? I mean, you started with flash fiction, short stories, uh, mm-hmm. as a number of poets have told me themselves. Right. Did, did you start young as well, or did you come into it later on?
1: I've always loved words, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Most of the people that I know who are wordsmiths Mm. were bookworms Mm. when they were kids. Not all, but Mm -hmm. many. I did a lot of reading when I was growing up, and then it just started to become more interesting to produce. I had things to talk about that I felt were important versus Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. oh, I went to this and I did that and blah, blah. So I didn't actually start considering myself as a writer Mm -hmm. and a producer of things that other people might want to read until pretty late. I got involved in a writer's group in the Bay, in San Francisco, and so shout out to Finishing School. Hey! (laughs) And from that, we began a really sort of disciplined schedule. We would Mm. meet every two weeks, we would produce every six weeks, we would do a lot of readings, we were really invested in this, get a hundred Rejections a year. I don't know if you've ever heard this. No, no, I haven't. Oh, I don't remember her name. That's terrible. But there was an article that got a lot of traction. It was You Should Aim for 100 Rejections a Year. Okay. Part of this group, and part of what was so great about being involved in a group and having a regular community to write in and really be encouraged to produce, was we had what we called a leaderboard for rejections. Okay. And so every time one of us would get a rejection, which happens always, Mm -hmm. often, consistently, (laughs) we would then send it to everyone in the group. And Mm -hmm. that person would get first in line on the leaderboard. So they would actually, quote-unquote, win Mm -hmm. by getting rejected. Mm -hmm. And that group and being around other really incredible writers, being around other people... Offered such great critiques. Mm-hmm. We had a poet. We had novelists. We had short story. We had a whole slew of people together. Right. Really grounded me in the practice of production. Really grounded me in being interested in shaping and refining sort of the vision that I have of the story. Right. And that's been maybe ten years, okay. um, eight years in the group, and then longer than that for the writing.
0: Great, great. You brought a poem up to us today. I and- did. If I did. you don't mind reading that, we can talk about it.
1: Absolutely, I'm looking
0: forward to talking about it. Okay. The title of the
1: poem is "A Sexy Times Spell for Your IRL Date After Three Weeks <laughs> of Sporadic Texting." For this spell, you will need to gather the following: two pennies, at least ten years old; lavender stems collected at midnight, but you can substitute jojoba leaves gathered at dawn. Two dashes of wishful thinking. Dirt from underneath your fingernails. The sequin from the dress of a six-foot-three drag queen. She can be shorter, but she cannot be taller, okay? Ten curse words screamed into a pillowcase. You can substitute three drops of armpit sweat if needed. Ten pinches of dried silicone lube that accidentally leaked into your sex tools bag. Ashes of ten selfies of your ex-lovers, secretly printed off their Instagram feed, and one dash of forgetfulness. In a small bowl with a tight lid, gather these ingredients together. Shake well. Open the lid, take a wooden spoon, and stir the contents. Be careful not to spill any of this sexy times broth. Not just yet. Let the contents rest for 10 minutes as the magic gathers. Grab a big jar of salt, go to your bedroom, put the fancy underwear you plan on wearing on top of your bed. If you aren't planning on wearing underwear, substitute your razor. Or not, that's you. On the floor next to your bed, draw two small circles of salt, one facing east and one facing west. You can also make a lingam, a vulva, a mouth, an anus, or any other imagined shape of your IRL date's body. Remember, you want to put the flesh of your body into their body. Hold that intention in your mind as you pour the salt. Return to the bowl of magical spell liquid. With a bowl in your hand, walk widershins around your house or apartment or mobile home. Or street corner with your Anything Helps Thanks cardboard sign. Imagine the first touch of your IRL person as you warm the magic liquid between your hands. Think of watching your date's mouth as they part their lips to take a drink of the cocktail. You'll learn to make them after you fuck. Start to sing a little bit, sloshing the liquid ever so slightly over the edge. When it feels right, whimper. When it feels better, moan. Now, time for the deep magic, the Earth Mama magic, the magic of birth and blood and resplendent power. This is very important, concentrate. Take that supercharged magic bowl of liquid toward your bed. When you reach the East and the West, salt figures pour a generous dose. The magic will rise, the figures dissolving in a salty, sticky fluid. Invite the goddess of your personal pleasures to come alive there inside that symbolic flesh made fluid oozing on the floor. Concentrate the feeling of fuck yes emanating from this potent, magical, silvery, slippery, gorgeously charged mixture. Watch it turn into bubbling steam merging with the radiant heat emanating from your supercharged genitals, filling you up. Pushing you apart, sliding and slippery and hot and pulsing on someone who definitely, absolutely does not need an Instagram filter. Ever. Now, go get them, Tiger.
0: I'm ready for my date. (laughs) Thank you. I hope so. After that spell. All right. So now we just have to go get a date. <laughs> we can use. You that. know, most
1: people have got four or five people that they're sporadically texting with in some capacity. So, <laughs> you just figure out which one you want to actually cast the spell on, you know? You just gamble <laughs> and take a direction and off you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's really just so energizing to mm-hmm. hear, especially the way that the momentum builds up. It's like the sexy time you want to manifest, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that aspect of it what made you decide to write this particular poem
1: sure what is the origin story yeah so this particular poem was for the erotic fest at the Alwyn house Mm -hmm. and i had done a reading there a year before okay and courtesy of i don't know people's goodwill Mm -hmm. i got invited back which was great and inspiring and it's so interesting the way that we are mitigating our desire Mm. through technology Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I notice is that we spend more time touching our phones than we do touching other people. Mm-hmm. If my phone were my lover, they would always be just completely pleasured, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we just were swiping and rubbing and
0: yeah. looking, yeah. and the
1: attention that we pay to this device. And so, one of the things that was very interesting to me to think about is how our desires are really mediated. Mm-hmm. By the time you get in front of someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: more often than not, you know a lot about them already. Yeah. You've interacted with them, you've texted with them, you've seen whatever, depending on how snoopy you are, you can go into Mm -hmm. their feed, you can go into this, that, and the other thing, it's very rare that we encounter someone just raw, just Mm -hmm. completely uh, blank slate, tabula rasa. Mm -hmm. And that became interesting to me in the Bay, certainly that's kind of the epicenter of technology and all of these quote-unquote disruptive ideologies, which... Just don't even get me started on that. But thinking about the way that we lose what is organic and natural, Mm. we have become kind of constrained. Mm. And it was so interesting to me to think about how do we just recover what is raw and recover what is natural and recover what is so real about flesh and form and desire and sweat and salt and sticky and this Mm -hmm. radical humanity Mm -hmm. of interacting with someone in this magical wonderland. Mm -hmm. What we are able to do once we have decided we are in a mutual desire space with another person, it's through the looking glass. Mm -hmm. We don't interact with many people in such intimate ways. Mm -hmm. And to me, it is actually a magical landscape Mm. to cross the threshold of desire to give someone permission Mm. it's such a cool experience and Mm -hmm. so i was interested in well how do we get from this bip 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 on the phone
0: Mm -hmm.
1: abstract concept into the the fleshy sticky sweaty Mm. trueness of being intimate being physically connected with another yeah
0: yeah it's it's difficult and part of that difficulty is that as separate beings that communication can be misconstrued Mm -hmm. or deliberately misleading sure depending on the person sure yeah and so i feel like all this technology give us a sense of control if not for real some sense of understanding of who that person is. Like Mm. you said before we go Mm. on a real date now, Mm. if especially if we decided to do using online apps, you know, Tinder or whatnot, you know, (laughs) whether or not you do Tinder or match or you know, all whatever, of these different whatever. apps that, that target yeah, different Grinder, groups. Fluffer, yeah, Nutter, yeah. Fluffer, Butter, Nutter, who
1: knows, <laughs> yeah. just name it, it's coming out. Exactly, basically.
0: whatever it is that we decide to use, it's it's about a sense of control and sense mm. of getting to know the person better. And personally, I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, because mm-hmm. you need to filter, unfortunately, in this world, because of those bad actors, despite them mm-hmm. being in the minority i can understand people's anxiety at the same time i understand because we ultimately all want to get to that flesh on flesh and and some people do some people don't
1: you know some people are certainly moving through the world asexual which is awesome and amazing if that's your choice yeah yeah, um but for me i'm just at the cusp of a generation that didn't have any of this technology. Mm. And life changes. The world changes. Mm -hmm. It's not a this is better than, this is worse than. Mm. But it is interesting to me in terms of, you know, you used a word that I find really interesting that I hear a lot as an assessment of the norm that anxiety to me is an unnatural state of being. Mm. It is not a normal human response Mm. to being alive, to this magical crazy, bittersweet, terrible, wonderful experience of being embodied, that anxiety is not our natural state of being. Mm. And that's one of the things that I'm really interested in exploring in in almost all the avenues where, how is it that we are being displaced internally? How is it that we are being disconnected from each other? And inside of that disconnection, and you see this across political you see this across personal personal as political etc 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 the way that we can put into the gap the perception of distance between ourselves and another person things like anxiety things like fear mm-hmm. things like suspicion things mm-hmm. that lead to social conditions of racism that social conditions of hatred social conditions of all kinds of isms mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. it were and what's interesting to me to think about how we will go way out of our way beyond the pale as it were. For someone that we are interested in having sexy times with,
0: Mm.
1: you know, we've decided to bring them into our circle Mm -hmm. because we have desire for them in a particular way. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens if we could extend the circle of our concern or the circle of our desire Mm. to someone whom we weren't particularly interested in doing fleshy times with, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What would it be like if we were so clear on our desire and the way that our desire functioned that we could then widen that power Mm. right like if we can break down our suspicion about other people if we can harness our desire to be connected which is such power there's Mm -hmm. such power in desire if we can break that out of i don't want to say break it out of just sex but break it into other ways of connecting from a place of desire with people Mm. holy crap take out the anxiety, take out the suspicion, take out the fear, and instead replace it with, I just want to know you. I just want to connect with you. Mm -hmm. I just want to follow you around. I just want to do this, do that, do the other thing. I love the idea of harnessing that type of desire Mm -hmm. in all contexts. Mm -hmm. Right, Taking that emotion that we often load. Mm -hmm. If we see someone who looks different, if we feel different, How we load our emotional space with other things. Could we load our emotional space? Could we harness that desire in the I want to engage with you way? Mm. Which is one of the coolest things about desire, physical desire or emotional desire. It forces us, it compels us to connect. Mm. And that, I think, is such a cool tool to engage and explore in unique ways in new ways
0: yeah and i feel like even with all these technology it is the new tools that we use in mm-hmm. order to do that mm-hmm. similarly to in real life contact with people when you just meet somebody and, and you just say okay there is something about that person that i want to know more about forget whether or not this person looks or acts similar to me i want to find out for good or bad because then. Until you find out you really can't make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. So for me, technology is a tool for that. Um, Obviously, people don't always use use tools in their intended form. Just like people don't consume art necessarily in the way that the artist intends Mm -hmm. for it to be consumed. Mm -hmm. So once it's out there, it's its own thing and Mm -hmm. people utilize it for their own whatever purposes, right? So it's really interesting that you said that this is how the poem came about. Part of me, because you had talked about anxiety and sort of overcoming that anxiety, and I felt that when I was reading the poem on my own that it has a lot of anxiety built into it as well, which is why I chose my poem to read in conjunction with yours, because I felt that you have to take all of these steps, right? All of these steps to get to get to this person. And the title as well sort of suggests that uncertainty of what's going to happen. And the spell is to mitigate that uncertainty. And our use of technology, again, is to mitigate that uncertainty. What do you think of that take on yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was editing the poem, one of the things that was the most difficult
1: there are a lot of things happening and trying to make it a spell, mm-hmm. try to feel like a spell, but also not overwhelm with steps. Mm-hmm. So I don't disagree with you, but what I haven't really explored is the, or I haven't really heard discussed the way that these are both technologies, mm-hmm. right? So a spell is a type of technology mm-hmm. and a, a phone is a type of technology. And in the same way that, you would utilize the steps of your phone, utilize the steps of contemporary technology. Mm -hmm. There's ancient technology, right? To cast a spell, in some ways, is to also, quote-unquote, gather information Mm -hmm. about someone. You're just doing it in a way that isn't quite so manifest. Mm -hmm. right? This idea that internal experiences have to be mitigated by a device well no people were creating internal experiences for themselves they're trying to gather information like who is my lover going to be you'd pick a flower and make a potion and put it under your pillow and sleep and dream and then you would dream of your lover you know that's a kind of more esoteric more energetic more woo-woo technology Mm. so it's
0: also manifesting what you want isn't it trying to attract what you want by knowing what you want knowing mm -hmm. what you want is one of the most difficult steps right really in life right because we don't at whatever stage we are in life we don't necessarily know that what we're wanting at that moment is actually right for us we don't know that for sure right. we we have some degree of certainty depending on the experience we've had right, right. but still because we are growing creatures we change not only spiritually, mentally, but also physically. You right. know? So it's it's very hard to determine in many ways. But we do try, again, using whether it's a spell of manifesting or just making thinking more solidly of what you want mm-hmm. or using technology to say, okay, this is not what I want. Mm-hmm. Swiping left, right? It's mm-hmm. been a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think one of the really fun things to think about for me is the relationship of anxiety and control. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick this term back up. You're right. We don't always know. And we don't have to, right? We can work towards a certain outcome. Mm-hmm. But then after that, you don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. You just
1: don't know. You can't know. And that, that's really, to me, exciting and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Where one of the things that I tell myself all the time is just do today's work. Mm. whatever it is that you have in your mind five years from now whatever it is that you might want from this going back to the poem what do you want that IRL person to be Mm. right this in real life person what is it that you want them to be that's not part of this spell Mm. and that's actually not part of the date Mm. the only aspect of this spell and that date is evoking physical connection Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it is a complete unknown Mm right and to the extent that we can't know it is the extent that it becomes really interesting. Yeah. What happens next? Well, let's find out. But for right now, for today, using the technology of the spell, mm-hmm. using the power of desire, let's manifest a really fun date with someone over cocktails where you watch their mouth and think about fucking them and next comes next, right? right? right. It's also so baby you know, steps. Baby steps or <laughs> just do today. Mm. Do today. If Mm. doing that person is part of your today, then do that. That (laughs) may not be your tomorrow. And I also, I hold that kind of politically. You know, some of the reason for this poem is the way that people are, are, you know, we are scared of, we're scared of feminism. We're scared of female power. We're scared Mm. of evoking the unknown Mm. as that something we have agency over, this mm. idea of pulling in our strengths from all sources, mm. you know, we're a little uncomfortable with that. Mm. We, we get logical, we get rational, we get locked into what we can prove,
0: mm.
1: while at the same time operating in completely abstract methodologies. And so yeah. it's this kind of back-and-forth continuum. Yeah, yeah.
0: But they do jump between one and the other, and they don't necessarily, they're not consistent either. You could be incredibly logical and do something that's completely irrational Absolutely. or seemingly irrational. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. For, as I said before, with my poem, it was based on my reading and what mm-hmm. I was saying before. Mm-hmm. It seems like this perfect date or even this per- perfect sexual encounter is so impossible that we need to go through all of these steps exactly and psych ourselves up as it were to do it in right. order to do it and that that's why <laughs> my poem that I sent to you was conjurings in the night because again it just felt like the goal seems almost impossible mm-hmm. at the time of mm-hmm. my writing it. so I'll read that now yeah please conjurings in the night Rise, your soul, subjected to injustice. Hear the growing cries of the powerless, being stomped on once again. Know that the living has given up on their willingness to protect, but prefer to join the tyrannical instead. Celebrating ignorance, reciting disproved racial theories like sacred shamanic text, robbed from our collective future by neglecting select communities implementing short-sighted policies the planners will soon regret, proudly stepping on lime mines they planted with others in mind. We, who are in the minority, raise our alarming cries in desperate search for aid, scattered amongst the crowds, willing now to reach beyond the living, to remedy this malaise exponentially spreading, crossing old boundaries, thought already taboo, building tolerance for hideous violations, please, if you will, help tip the balance toward those unbalanced by historical injustices and persistent injuries
1: <clears throat> newly
0: inflicted. Mm. Thank you.
1: One of the questions that I have for you is about the changing of a term that I really hadn't encountered before, and it resonated with me completely. And I'm super interested to know what you might have to say to this, because in your poem, you talk about we who are in the minority. And one of the things that I've seen most recently is minoritized communities as Mm -hmm. opposed to minority communities. Mm. And I wanted to see if you, what that sparked in you. Because one of the interesting things to me is that I feel that the people who you might be referencing in terms of uh, the ones planting the landmine right so the planners will soon regret and to me i feel like the planners are actually the minority Mm -hmm. and the communities that they're interacting with are minoritized Mm -hmm. so i was i'm interested if you had any thoughts on that
0: well when you were just talking about it i actually never heard it used uh, Mm -hmm. that way or that that particular form of Mm -hmm. of the word in that particular usage I was talking minority in terms of the small number of people who are willing to fight this because it seems like everybody else, for convenience, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. not necessarily maliciousness, apart from those planters that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. are going with the flow, and the flow is going... It's becoming incredibly putrid, Mm. incredibly dirty, incredibly just ugly. Mm. And I forget exactly when I wrote this, but it was last year. I imagine it must have been after Charlottesville, but it has that feeling of people are going with the flow that's just going in, in a completely scary direction. You know, for somebody like me who is a double minority and... Marginalized, double marginalized, marginalized. again. Yeah, exactly. and, you know, part of uh, <laughs> double uh,
1: communities that are marginalized. Too. Yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: So that's what I thought of when you just mentioned that. Minoritized, you said. Mm-hmm, so, Minoritized. Yeah, because when when you think of certain minorities that are in this country, it really minority changes meaning depending on the context, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Asian American. Asians are <laughs> there are more Asians in the world than. yeah absolutely right so yet yet in the states we are minority in number as well as uh, marginalized Mm -hmm. in in different ways depending on skin color these days there's marginalization within marginalization there's colorization all of these different intersectionalities that goes with these words Mm -hmm. that conjure up certain meanings in everybody's mind but differently you're speaking with.
1: Well, and it's also, geography is such an interesting component because in certain communities, and there are, again, all the pressures that come to bear, mm-hmm. in some communities there is a majority of minoritized people, mm-hmm. right? So I'm thinking here of the South, where there's huge segregation, mm-hmm. right? You cross Peach Street, well, there are multiple Peach Streets in Atlanta, but over here it's one community Mm-mm. of a certain yeah whatever it is. And then there's another community. Sometimes it's class, sometimes it's race, sometimes it's, you know, kind of whatever line is drawn around it. They're Mm -hmm. linked often, but not always. And then there are these pockets in which minoritized becomes minority, becomes majority, becomes, you know, this strange blend and this strange blur. And um, I'm interested in this idea of how do you see that in relationship to when you talk about powerless? Do you see that as a global phenomenon? Do you see it as as a in-America phenomenon, in a Western phenomenon?
0: I think of it in local, national, as well as global context. Mm-hmm. Before I go into that, I kind of wanted to go back to what you were saying before in terms of politics, when you were saying finding the community, right? Mm-hmm. When you're talking mm-hmm. about your activism. And I think this is part of the reason why people segregate, self-segregate, well, people are segregated and then also self-segregate sure. into pockets where a certain ethnic or racial group dominates is because they feel like we're against the world, whether or not. And that could be, that pertains to white nationalists as well. It's a fear of being attacked. Mm -hmm. And that could be a mental fear as well as a physical fear where African-American communities is a physical fear because that's happening. It's happening right now in front of our eyes. And it's a continuation of what's happened since they were brought here. And there's a similar fear in the Latinx communities, and there's a similarity in Asian uh, communities. Or in queer communities, which is my community. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So all of these fears, again, and it's very important to acknowledge fears, whether or not we think that is just a psychological fear. Because psychological fears pushes people to do real harm to those that they think are harming them. Mm -hmm. Going back to your question just now about... How do I see what context? I do feel like, in some ways, it is a global phenomenon, partly because of the hold that the media, American media, has a hegemonious hold on the world. Mm-hmm. There is an incredibly large PR machine that is working quite well, and it pushes all of these ideals. And Hollywood, despite some of the amazing movies that it's produced, I mean, I personally love both the book Gone with the Wind and the movie. And I was fortunately enough to have seen the restored version a couple of years back. And it brought tears to my eyes. And I didn't think this movie would be able to bring tears from my eyes because I had seen it before on a small screen. But somehow seeing it in the movies made a difference. At the same time, I see how the uh, African Americans were being portrayed as happy slaves. Sure. And it's very frustrating to see that. But I also see, at the same time, that both that movie... I saw that movie, um, a TV version of it, Mm -hmm. the day before I saw the movie Lincoln. And I saw that both movies were anti-war movies, but they came from two different sides. Mm -hmm. Like, Margaret Mitchell was definitely southern confederate. That woman believed in that ideal. And obviously, Lincoln, Steven Spielberg was looking at it from the the northern union ideal but they were both anti-war and that's some of the ironic things that that intersectionality in movies yet these movies are being pushed out onto to the world Mm -hmm. despite many countries having their own movie industries yet a lot of this concept are being pushed out and and, in colonizing the mind and sometimes as i said The mental states are even more important than physical states because sometimes because we don't examine it, we don't quite understand how it manifests physical action, it becomes more powerful. It has more subconscious control over us.
1: In your poem, you say, please, if you will, help tip the balance. And I want to use that as a leverage point to talk about that idea of mental colonization. What do you see as being a tactic or a technique for tipping the balance toward moving toward getting out of that press, that idea as right, the I, certain kinds of hegemony, like you were saying, that mm. messaging that kind of, it can continue to cause people to think a certain way. With the idea of moving away from that, what does that look like?
0: Well, first I think we need to be more aware of it. I think, you know, the hashtag Oscar is so white mm. kind of brought that idea to the fore, the, the backlash, against whitewashing, very helpful in terms of raising awareness of it. I actually did an interview that's going to be aired later on in April, where I read a poem where I talk about this media's hegemony and also this hierarchy in the media in terms of if you go watch a movie, especially recently, you would see that blonde, blue-eyed people kind of go to the top of the food Mm -hmm. chain. They become the heroes, Not even brunettes, okay? I mean, there is a very well-defined steps Mm -hmm. towards who can be what. But what's the solution? solution. So that's the problem.
1: We know that. Mm -hmm. We We know that that is, so long as it is benefiting the status quo, the people who have gained, stolen, created, shot, just whatever, right? However it is that they have acquired power on the backs of other people, we know that's the problem. We can acknowledge that. It's not going to dismantle itself. I don't
0: know that people necessarily know that are not not even aware of it. That's why I was saying awareness is one of the first steps to not just raise the awareness and hopefully get enough people to understand Mm. this is a problem and then people will come up with solutions i'm not going to sit here and say i have the solution to the world god Mm -hmm. i wish i really wish you know i can't solve my own problems frankly you know (laughs) to raise that awareness and i think that's one of the things that we do as creative minds as poets writers one of the things we do is to raise that, uh, awareness, to point to the problem mm-hmm. in ways that people can connect with rather than standing on a street corner and just scream. Showing as policy. you said, that, that yeah. radical activism mm-hmm. has to come from different ways, have to produce different stimuli, because not everybody is going to respond the same way to the same stimuli. So some people will shut off mentally, towards somebody who's shouting at Mm them at a street corner, Mm -hmm. no matter how much logic there is to what they're saying. But that same person might read a poem and say, oh my god I did not realize this is happening Mm -hmm. even though they've probably heard it before already. Or it just connects with them in a different way. Yeah.
1: Do you think that it evokes for people a sense of personal identification
0: that they can connect
1: with it on a human
0: level i think so uh, i certainly part of why i'm doing the podcast is to bring the idea forward that mm. different people from different walks of life can utilize poetry as a means of communication and they tell their personal stories even though this particular poem is not from a personal perspective it's more, one of my more preachy poems mm. <laughs> but if i get to tell the story behind it, maybe people can connect with them and say, oh, that's what you meant.
1: Do you seek to inspire people to create themselves?
0: I don't know if I need to do that. I think uh, I think people create on their own no matter what, especially when they're oppressed from creating, when they're told you can't do this. So.
1: I don't know that I agree with that. I think one of the challenges that I keep seeing is so much consumption. Mm-hmm. And that is actually one of the challenges, I think, of being able to press play anytime we want on someone who is magically talented, so capable, you get this beautiful music, you get this beautiful voice, you get this beautiful artwork, where it used to be you had to make it yourself. And even if it wasn't, quote unquote, the best, the most right, the most well produced or polished, that's how you had music. That's how you had poetry. That's how you had these things. I'm interested to hear how it is that you think people are creating, how especially when someone is told no, that they will respond with a yes. I don't know that I've seen that in my own experiences.
0: But I think that's why these social media platforms are taking off, right? Because people who traditionally might go through these narrow doors or these few doors that they have available for them in terms of getting attention for their work now have something like a youtube platform like oh, an instagram point. like a facebook you know twitter all of these things they're they're supply different doors new doors to the masses to be consumed there are social media stars i don't necessarily like a lot of them but still they are putting themselves out there they have become their own brands when the masters that control you know quote-unquote control these valves toward the masses mm-hmm. towards the availability of the masses to the attention of the masses said no to them then they decided, well, I'm going to use this platform. This is a new tool that's available for me. Why don't I do this instead? And again, these platforms were not necessarily created with that purpose in mind. Yet people are using it as a creative outlet when they're being told no. When I, when I first said that earlier, I, I was thinking of the Taliban and such. But in our own day-to-day life, we see that as well. Because um, again, with Hollywood, uh, despite the large machine that it is, it's still very few people control the access to that, and that's why you see so little minority representation yeah. or such a predominance of certain minority representation. Only that minority, it's safe. yeah, yeah take for them maybe, but telling the same story and over and over until that becomes a stereotype mm-hmm. or reinforcing the stereotype because that's the only thing that they know. Those who control. Mm-hmm access to the masses so now if you go to youtube if you go to all of these social media platforms you can see a variety of people there is obviously a commonality because you have to be of a certain personality to have a certain drive to get in front of people and also have certain social media marketing abilities so again that's something that people are not necessarily aware of all of these mechanisms, they have pitfalls of their own. Still, there is a democratization of access to people's time.
1: Years and years and years ago, I heard an interview with someone. The general context is they were talking about the difference between someone who talks systems and someone who talks people. Mm-hmm. And I was really struck with it because I know that one of the aspects of privilege is to think of systems, mm-hmm. and that certain kinds of upbringing and certain kinds of relationship to power creates systemic thinking, mm-hmm. and certain kinds of upbringing and certain kinds of relationship to power create individualized or identity-specific thinking. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because I've heard a lot of systems talk, I've heard a lot of structures talk. Mm. And I wonder if you can, for me, draw it back to a person living in the world, a person who just gets on a bus, gets on a train, gets in a car, goes to a job, interacts with other people. Mm. What's your vision of that in the context of this poem, in the context of displacing the planners and amplifying the minoritized? What what does that look like in a day?
0: When you say that, I think of... Going to the open mics, and people are doing that. They're saying my voice is important. On whatever small level I can, open mic is a step. It's a baby step. It's one of those mm-hmm. steps in the in the magical spell that you talk about. It's something that people can do. Feel like they can reach. It's a goal that they can reach. And a lot of them, with the hopes of being discovered further, you know, taking the next step for more, quote-unquote, popularity. So, Or just being heard, right? Yeah, The being power heard. of being heard. Exactly. Oh. To be able to say what you say in a safe space. Because a lot of these open mics have incredible audiences who are willing to listen. They don't necessarily have to agree with what you're saying, but they are open to listening. For me, personally, I can say that poetry has been very therapeutic for me. Just going to open mics has made me feel like I am being heard, despite the fact that the trauma that drove me to poetry made me feel like what I had to say was not important. Mm -hmm. even though I was telling a personal story of pain that I experienced but people were saying oh no you did not Mm -hmm. so on a personal day-to-day level open mics are incredibly important. The reason I have this podcast is to give people another outlet for telling their story, but the story behind the story. Because poetry is a tiny story, whereas it could be a large volume, an encyclopedic volume that goes behind that particular poem, even if it's less than a minute long. And for people who are you know, on the buses, I see them consuming social media all the time. Again, it's whatever they feel psychologically linked to. You know, they have their favorite channel, they have their favorite anchors, whatever it is. We are disruptive by consuming non-traditional outlets, by feeding into, creating, and distributing through non-traditional outlets. We are disrupting the system in many ways. And on a more physical level towards your poem, yeah, we, we do need to ultimately go back to the face-to-face, the skin-on-skin, skin. even if it's just hug, just to say, I feel you, man.
1: I'm here with you right yeah. now in this place, in this time. Yeah. We're here together. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I feel like all these social media platforms offer a psychological touching. Mm-hmm whereas open mics offer the opportunity to have physical contact mm-hmm. so all of these channels for me are important because again we don't necessarily only operate on one channel we just find whatever works and having tools extra tools for me is great there does come a point where you're just like okay there are so many options i don't know what to right. do anymore yes yeah,
1: start with say you're doomed by your freedom yeah yeah
0: yeah it is kind of that but you know go back to what you said before in terms of personal choice at some point you have to say okay i only have this amount of time i'm going to devote that time to a b and c or ef or whatever you want to devote your time to ultimately you do have a choice in terms of what you choose to consume what you choose to pay attention to and sometimes on the negative side of that is that it's what also limits you but this is what we are. We are flawed human beings that have limited attention spans. Otherwise, we would do so much better as a species. <laughs> like, Potentially. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you work with what you have. So yeah, I mean, exactly. That's what everybody does. Right?
1: Right. One day at a time, work with yeah. what you've got.
0: Yeah, we're all in the same bind, pretty much.
1: It's true. It's true.
0: <laughs> Anyways, it's been great talking about this with you. I, I really appreciate that. If in closing, I'd love to find out where are you going to be reading next, what exciting event you've got coming sure, up. Sure, exactly.
1: What What's all the good stuff? I'm going to be part of an event in April. It's actually kind of a... Universal Love Fashion Show, Ooh. and it promises to be really exciting. Okay. The reason for it is about a year ago now, I did a 60-second collaboration for Spark After Dark at the Mesa Art Center. Okay. With uh, Shannon Phillips, who is hosting a theme for building love in our communities. Okay. And it is kind of a crossover with face paint, body paint, fashion, uh-huh. some poetry, The idea being to amplify love, to amplify connection. Instead of this culture of competition, a culture of collaboration.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm really excited to be part of it. So keep an eye out for that. Tempe Center for the Arts in April. Aside from that, I'm pretty low-key about where I'm reading next. I have a couple of Instagram feeds that I post on. One is street art, like we said, and the other one is part of my yoga community. So
0: that's one of the things that I do. And where are those specific handles?
1: So the street art specific is downtempo underscore danai,
0: D-A-N-A-E.
1: And then the other one is healing is radical. Okay. And that's a site that I am interested in sort of bringing the idea that autonomy, Mm. healing consciousness, Mm. self-capacity is a really radical act. It's radical to be self-sustained. That is pretty new in terms of its idea, but that's where I am for that. Great.
0: I'll post those links in our episode notes and uh, thank
1: you very much. Of course. I have one more plug.
0: Oh of course. One of course. more plug. Friend of
1: mine and I are really interested in creating literary community. Mm. And you know, there are a couple of different groups around. There are a bunch of really cool presses that are coming up above the radar in mm-hmm. Phoenix okay. and that the literary landscape is shifting as it always mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Hines is his name, and he runs Holm Press, which is an anti capitalist press. Okay. And I had no idea that he existed, and he had no idea that I existed. And so we got together and thought, holy crap, uh-huh. nobody knows what's going on here in the literary scene, yeah. which is not true. Of course, yeah. people are connected, but they tend to be connected in informal ways or yes. relational ways. Yes. So we are working on what we call the Son- Sonoran Small Press. Ooh. And we had a summit last year, and we're going to have another thing. The idea being that people who are in the literary scene who are producers. Mm-hmm. So you have a journal, you have a zine, you have a blog, you are producing something for the literary podcast. Community. Whatever it is, <laughs> podcast. You got it, you got it. But the literary arts, mm-hmm. um, we're interested in sort of a ground-level, grassroots community Great. connection, mm-hmm. and it's... All across the map, whatever it is, just come and be interested. And right. I will send you the link to the Facebook group okay. that we have. But awesome. that's something that I'm extraordinarily passionate about, is getting people in the literary scene to just know about each other mm-hmm. and share resources. So many people have such great resources, but it tends to silo around you've got a thing and they need a thing or you have a technique and they need a technique you have expertise and they need expertise and we tend to be disconnected in ways that we could easily transform into connection easily transform into being crazy cool radical community
0: absolutely i mean this is why i announce all the events taking place in the valley or all that i know of exactly at the beginning of the show because i want people to have opportunity to go to all of these and check out all the different audiences be exposed to them and talk with them because i honestly have not come across bad audiences yeah and it's been an incredibly accepting warm receptive experience i've enjoyed so and i think the last point on that, it's our responsibility to mm-hmm. take
1: ourselves seriously. Yes. It is our job to believe that what we are doing matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we are convinced of that, when we speak that, when we evoke that, when we, to use the poem example, when we cast the spell of our own importance mm-hmm. into the world, mm-hmm. that is what happens. That's what people begin to believe. Right. Like what we do matters mm-hmm. a lot. Yes, And when we narrate it, when we believe it, when we speak it, when we convey it from the perspective of deep understanding, Mm -hmm. that changes the world. It does. It really, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the difference between those who are powerful, quote-unquote, and those who are powerless, quote-unquote, is the degree to which they believe that what they do matters.
0: Mm -hmm. Truly. Again, it's the psychological aspect of Mm -hmm. being. What do you believe in? Once you believe in it, how do you manifest? Speak it? it, know it, believe
1: it, and you see it work. It's yeah. incredible.
0: Yeah, it's true. That's true. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on to the having show. Me. It's been Great. wonderful. It has been. I really appreciate thank this. And that concludes the Sunday, March 31st episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A Rate. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud. Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. Please also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.